Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Linwood Barclay is the hugely successful author of No Time for Goodbye, which was the best-selling novel in the UK for 2008. He started his career in journalism in his hometown of Ontario, Canada, and went on to become a regular humour columnist in the Toronto Star from 1993 to 2008. Between 1996 and 2000, he published four non-fiction books, including a memoir called Last Resort, a humorous account of growing up in cottage country. In 2004, he launched his humorous mystery series about Zack Walker with Bad Move. Three more Zack Walker thrillers followed, Bad Guys, Lone Wolf and Stone Rain. No Time for Goodbye was published in 2007 to critical acclaim and he has since written two more standalone thrillers. Too Close to Home was released in 2008 and was also a number one bestseller in the UK, knocking John Grisham off the top spot. His latest book, Fear the Worst, has just been released. So thanks for joining us today, Linwood. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Now tell me, what is so appealing about writing thrillers for you? Oh, well, it's the kind of thing I've always really wanted to write from the time I was probably in my mid-teens or so. I, I, I think I like the format because, I mean, I, first of all, I think I'd be the first to admit I'm not what you would call a literary author because I like, to, I, I like a story that just moves. And, I, and I, I've always liked the, 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 the format of a thriller or a mystery because, because they have such a strong plot to me, it's like having this sort of spine that runs through the story. And then as long as you've got that, you can sort of branch out and do different things while you're going along that, that, that trip. Mm. But I like the fact that, that thrillers give you this, uh, this, this strong plot on which to hang these characters and these situations and, and so forth. So it's a, it's a, it's a genre. It's a, it's a style. It's a, you know, it's a type of writing that really appeals to me. So because it has to be so plot-driven and, and all of that, where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, I get them from things that are really ordinary. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm not a writer who's interested in plots about, you know, international assassinations or, you know, uh, introducing some sort of bio-terrorist threat into the environment. I just don't care about those things. They bore me because I can't identify with them. Like that's the stuff that happens in, you know, some far off, you know, it, it just, it just doesn't touch. It doesn't hit me where I live. Mm. So they only happen to Jack Bauer. Exactly, which I love. You know, like I love 24, but I never feel scared watching 24 because mm. it's so out there. I think, well, this is not going to happen to me, you know. And so I'm when I'm doing a thriller, I try to uh, look for this the sort of menace in the everyday, in the ordinary. I mean, what if 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 sort of the things that happen every day go slightly off the rails? What could happen from that? You know, like I say, you you know, you you're, you're at the mall and you back up your car and you 
dent the fender of the wife of a mob guy or something. I mean, mm-hmm. or the wrong mail gets, you know, mail gets delivered to the wrong house or, you know, you're already like in fear of the worst. Your kid doesn't come home from work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about, I think about this, the things that make me anxious uh, on in a sort of everyday situation are those things that I look at and I think, well, how do you ratchet that up? How do you take a sort of everyday anxiety mm. and push it to the limit? And because there's so much that needs to go into a thriller, apart from the characters, there's a lot of things to do with the plot. How do you actually plot that out in your head? Do you, is there some kind of systematic way or do you just let it flow out of you as some writers do? Well, I don't. I have to have something of a plan. I mean, I usually I start with what I would call a hook. I need an opening. I need some way into a story that's really interesting, mm-hmm. and and then I. So when I have my hook, my way in, then I start figuring out everything around it. How do we get to this point? Why did this happen? How and so forth. And I'll start making notes and filling up a notebook with notes. And it's very kind of random thoughts and a bit of this and a bit of that. And I might get. 20 pages of notes, if that. And, and I, once I kind of know the sort of main arc of the story, where if I know my end point, I know who did what, I can't, I find it hard to plot anything else beyond that. Mm. Because I find that it's during the writing of the piece that all these things occur to me. Like you write a, you write a chapter and you put characters in a particular situation and you think, well, gee, what would be the logical thing that would happen out of that confrontation? And, and once I've written it, it becomes obvious to me what that would be. So then I might go off on another direction. But I, I still keep coming back to that sort of spine of the story that I, that I know that I need to follow. So, so like I know where I'm going to end up, but often I, find, I end up surprising myself along the way. Things happen that I did not know were going to happen. Mm. Now, you started off as a journalist mm-hmm. before moving on to a, being a humour columnist at the Toronto Star. And, right. of course, you write, you write thrillers. They're all very, very different forms of writing. How did you transition from you know, journalism to humour columns to thriller writing? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's I had all of these things I had been doing at some point earlier on. Anyway, I mean, even when I was in in university, I was interested in writing humor pieces. And when I was in my teens, probably before I was even twenty two years old, I had written two or three mystery novels, which thankfully were not published. Not that there was even a remote chance that anyone would have published them. <laughs> but I, it's a kind of writing that I had always liked. Mm-hmm. But because no one was interested in sort of hiring a 22-year-old uh, as a best-selling novelist, um, I thought, well, perhaps I should consider going into newspapers because you would get paid money to write every single day. Yeah, and it might, it might not necessarily be things that you were interested in writing about. Yeah. I mean, for a while at this first paper I was at, I had uh, I, uh, one of my responsibilities was the agricultural beat and I was not an area with which I had a lot of familiarity. And, but, but you were writing every day, and so you were kind of keeping the machinery oiled, so you were always writing. And, and then when I got to the Toronto Star in 1981, I was hired as an editor, and my first 12 years there, I was in all sorts of editing jobs. I was an assistant city editor. I was a um, news editor. I was the living section editor. I was the chief copy editor. I was all these different editing jobs and did all those. And so I knew, I mean, I knew inside out how the paper worked and how it ran and how 
stories got from assignment into the paper and all that sort of thing. And when an opportunity came up to write a column in 1993, I had actually written a column for a couple of years at a very small paper back in the in the late uh, in the like 1979 to 1981, mm. and I had won an award for that, and it was a kind of writing that I really liked. And so when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it, mm. and so I wrote, you know, I, I wrote that column for 15 years, mm. three columns a week. And, uh, but I still had always wanted to do crime fiction. Mm. And, uh, so, I mean, I wrote, did four, four books in Canada that were sort of humor related. And then in the mid, you know, like starting around 2003, I wanted to do crime fiction. And I wrote four sort of comic thrillers, which haven't come out here yet. They've only been out in North America mm-hmm. and, uh, and started doing that. And, <clears throat> and even though I was writing, you know, a, a novel a year, I was still doing about 130 columns a year. Mm. And you just kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, some people f- seem to think there would be, it would be a tricky transition, but it's not. I mean, you, you work on the book and then you've got a column to do and you just turn, and you bang out a column. And, and I was able to kind of just like, sw- like turning a switch, I could go from doing one thing and doing the other thing. Mm. And, uh, and you had, and I really didn't have the luxury of not being able to do that because you didn't have time because when you have three columns, you have to deliver every, every week, Mm. you can't sort of think, well, I'm sorry, I can't do today's column because I'm burned out from writing my book. Well, they'd say, well, that's great because then we don't have to pay you. (laughs) You (laughs) So uh, having a column certainly instills a lot of discipline because you have no choice. That's right. So when you um, are writing your books, is there some kind of writing routine? Do you, you know, get into the zone in some way? Do you have a bit of a ritual? What happens? Well, I, when I am doing a book, now it usually takes me anywhere from, you know, two to three months to write a first draft of a novel. Mm-hmm. And so I try to find a period of time where we're not traveling or anything because I'd like to do it all kind of at once. And, and so I start work around 8.30 or 9 in the morning and uh, of course, John Stewart. You guys watch John Stewart here. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the the Comedy Channel at home repeats his show from the night before at 9 a.m. Oh, so right. I often so I often find that I drift towards the television and I watch John Stewart till 9:30, and then I really get to work. Right. And um, so I just so I'll work from uh, you know till about four o'clock or 4:30 or five most days mm-hmm. while I'm actually doing a book. Mm-hmm and take some time for lunch and I just kind of work through and you know sometime around two o'clock when I think I need to move I'll get up and go play nine holes of Nintendo Wii Golf <laughs> and then well, having done that I will go back to work and uh, you know so I, so I just kind of keeps me moving but but I just kind of I, I when I like I say when I'm in the thick of writing a book I just want to get it done mm-hmm. and I don't want to have this sort of situation where I have a a, a, a week or two week break between part of you know, the times of writing on it because I'll start writing about some character named George and when I get back to work I'm calling him Greg or yeah. something and I think this is not good and uh, so that's the way I kind of like to do it um, and I generally perhaps this is all the newspaper training but I usually I tend to deliver manuscripts to my publisher months in advance <laughs> Like literally, like months early. And, Are they shocked? Well, they're getting used to it, yeah. and and um, and sometimes they'll think, you know what, maybe we can publish it sooner. But I, but they usually don't. But I, but it's, I think that uh, when you write columns, one of the joys about 
newspaper writing is you write this thing and within hours you see it in print. Yeah. So you get this kind of quick hit. It's like a drug. You know, you, you, you write it and there it is and you can uh, bask in the glory or the shame, whichever it is. And, but when you write books, you finish them and it's a year later mm. before it comes out. And by the time it comes out, people will say, why did you have characters such and such do this? And you're thinking, who are they talking about? Because <laughs> you've already probably written three quarters of another book by then. Yeah. And, and so maybe I write them really quickly because I'm convinced that if I, I, I'm deluded into thinking that if I write them quickly, my publisher will publish it the next day or something. <laughs> but sadly, it doesn't work that way. It sounds like you have no trouble letting the words flow. Because, and obviously, you've got that discipline, the newspaper background that helps you do that. Do you ever suffer from writer's block or get stuck in any way then? Well, yes and no. I mean, sometimes you get stuck on a plot. I'll get stuck on a plot point. I'll sort of reach a point and I think, okay, I really have to regroup here. I have to sort of figure out where I'm going. But I don't even think that's writer's block so much as that's just part of the writing. Mm. So then you go for a walk or you cut the lawn or you go do something to sort of you still think about it, but but you just walk away for a while. Or but another I think nine holes of Nintendo Wii. Or, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or tennis. Nintendo tennis is also really good. And uh, so, or, or, so I'll go do that. But to me, that's also part of it. And, and, you know, I love it when people ask about writer's block because nobody ever asks, you know, plumbers if they get plumber's block. <laughs> you know, like somebody says, it's like, well, I was getting ready to put this ball cock assembly in the toilet and you know what? I just was, I couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't do it. Nobody asks them that because it's their job. And for me, writing is a job mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful job and I love the job, but it's a job. Mm-hmm. And so you get up and you, then you do the work and, and you carry on. Like I, I don't overly romanticize the writing as if it's some, oh, you know, this brilliant flash of genius strikes and then you write and it's, and then suddenly you can't do it. And so then you drink a bottle of wine and go sleep with some woman you don't know. And then you come back to it. Like I just, it's a job. And, and, uh, and so I don't get what you would call writer's block Mm. any more than, than, you know, you get right, you get blocked in, in doing interviewing or that other people mm. get blocked in doing what to do because it's work. Mm. Now, with thrillers particularly, it's so important to be credible and believable. And so when you're writing your thrillers and you need to do a lot of – do you need to do a lot of research into the area that you're writing about? And how do you go about that? I don't do an awful lot of research because mm-hmm. I'm generally writing about an environment or a world that I know about, that I've lived in. Because I'm not writing about – you know, Soviet spies or, or CSI, you know, criminal forensic investigators. I, my books are typically about ordinary people mm. who have extraordinary things happen to them. So, so in that sense, it's mostly the, you know, the, the research comes out of my imagination. But there are moments there, I mean, in Fear the Worst, um, uh, and fear the worst for whatever it is, whether it's a great thriller or a terrible thriller or whatever it is. It, I believe it is the first thriller in which the the hero is a car salesman. <laughs> and car salesmen are not generally thought of as heroic figures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I have two very good friends who are both retired car salesmen. Right. And I took them to lunch and I said, tell me everything. And tell me stories. And one of them, which is a story that got into the book, is uh, you know one day a guy came and wanted to take a test drive of a of a, of a pickup truck, mm-hmm. and they said okay, you know. And when he brought it back, 
it was odd clear that he had used it to deliver manure. <laughs> and he's like, who would do that? Like, you know, you take a, you take a, you know, so it's like, well, maybe you borrow, you take a test drive of a, of a car to move your friends or something. And I mean, but the things that, what was shocking was not the tactics that car salesmen used. What was shocking was things that customers had done. And, and I heard all these stories and I just loved it. And so a lot of those stories kind of, uh, I, I, you know, they got woven into, uh, into fear the worst. And, um, which and and it's perhaps it's not the most glamorous occupation to have researched, but I think it works for me because it's an ordinary job. Mm. And um, I mean, and I wrote a book uh, that came, most recently came out called Too Close to Home. Yeah. And you know, my hero in that was a guy who cut lawns. He ran a lawn service. Mm. Now, Too Close to Home was uh, became the number one bestseller in the UK, knocking John Grisham off the top spot. Yeah, go figure, eh? Yeah, no mean feat. So <laughs> how did that feel? Did you ever think, did you think that your books were always going to be this successful? No. No, I, well, I am the kind of person, as my wife would tell you, who always thinks there is still time for things to fail. There's still time for everything to go wrong. Uh, even if they're going well, it's like, okay, they're going well now, but it's just a matter of time before things turn around and go badly. So to have uh, this, the, I had always, of course, would have loved to have achieved great success, but I had not ex- really believed it could happen. So when No Time for Goodbye became a huge hit in the UK, I was, you know, which with, of course, the help of Richard and Judy, uh, I was thrilled. And, but you know, I was also very nervous about Too Close to Home because I thought, okay, that's not a book club pick. Mm. And will readers be loyal to the authors or will they be loyal to the selections of the book clubs? Mm. And so will they follow an author to his next book? So when Too Close to Home uh, went to number one on the hardcover fiction list, I was just, I was thrilled. Mm. I was really thrilled. And that comes out in paperback in the UK in another week and a half or two weeks and so i i mean next you know i'm very interested to see how that will go yeah well the success of your books now means you can write full time but yeah. if you are only if it only takes you two or three months <laughs> to write a book what are you doing the rest of the time well i'll tell you what i thought i would be doing <laughs> i thought i would be sitting poolside or sitting on the deck with my feet up and lounging about i mean first of all a book does take about Takes a rough draft takes me two months, but then I usually have to do a rewrite yeah. at my editor's help, and then there's proofing. So, like I, my anticipation was that that writing a book a year would, over the oh a year, occupy six months. Yeah. So I thought I'll have six months off to do nothing, <laughs> and then, then they said we would like you to tour Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand. <laughs> and then my U.S. publisher said, we want you to do a seven-city U.S. tour. Mm. And then my Canadian publisher said, we want you to do a Canadian tour. And then they said, we want you to go to, you know, the big annual Mystery Writers Conference in the U.S., BoucherCon. Mm. And, all thing, and then I realized, this is not, this is all great, but it's, <laughs> it's not what I, I thought I would have. I thought I would have a lot of free time. And it has not worked out that way. And b- believe me, I'm not complaining. Mm. Um, but it's funny. I have a very good friend named David Hewson who writes thrillers. He's in, in, in England. Mm. And he also had been a columnist for the, uh, the London Times. And he said when he quit, 
that job, he expected to have all this free time. Mm. And he found that the business of books expanded to fill all that other time. Yes. And that's why that's what has happened to me. And uh, but I think that I think what that also means it's evidence that the books have, have you know appealed to a lot of people, and that's what's kind of made this happen. You know, this extra sort of touring about. So I'm not complaining. Sure. So but I do have. I am hoping to have a solid month where I can do nothing but Nintendo golf. <laughs> you know, just I'll just do nothing else, and then by the time it's over, my arm will be in traction or something, and I'll have <laughs> repetitive strain injury. You know. So, are you con- going to concentrate on thrillers now, or are you interested in exploring other genres apart from humor or thrillers? No, I I'm very comfortable, and uh, I think I've kind of found my I've found my niche. Mm. I think that this thriller thing works very well for me i uh sometimes i have to i mean i still think that the thrillers that i'm doing now which are darker than the first four mysteries i wrote um <clears throat> they still have a bit of i think funny moments in them mm-hmm. that kind of grow naturally out of the characters and what's happening but every once in a while i have to rein myself in i'll write a scene that's really almost farcical and my agent or my editor say what are you doing you know, like you're not writing. This is one of your earlier books. Like you have, you're not doing a, one of your silly columns for the Toronto Star. And I realized that I've kind of, it's like I've fallen off the wagon, kind of. Thing. Right. And uh, and I have to go back and take. No, it's not that kind of a book. Um, but uh, but I'm, I like this. I feel very comfortable in this uh, in this genre, and mm. I'm and I I want to get better at it. So, out of no time for goodbye and too close to home, and now fear the worst. Is there a favorite out of these babies, or my there? Fear the worst is my favorite. Mm-hmm, because... I'm I really do. I I I I'm not but when I did no time for goodbye, I would have said that was my favorite, and I didn't expect to do one that I would like more. But fear the worst. I am really happy with this one. Mm. Um, now I sometimes know that authors are their own worst judges of their stuff. So if I think it's great, it might not be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause, but but I I it's it's the book I'm the happiest with. To me, it's the one that holds together the best. It also has, for me, the most satisfying sort of last page of any book that I've done. I, I'm I feel very good about how it ends. It's not. Mm. It's a bit of a downer ending, but I think to some readers. But I think it's it's the right ending, and it works. I'm really happy with how it came together. And now that you have several un- books under your belt, does the process get easier as you do more? I I do find that I'm learning all the time. I'm still learning. Um, I think the process. I not. I don't know that it's easier. It's sort of. I think the tricky part is is coming up with another idea that's as good as the ones you've already done mm. and to not look as though you're coasting or, and I mean, I'm too far too new at this to start coasting. Mm. And so it's, it's, that's to me is the challenge is to find another story that's as good as the ones that you've already done. Mm. But I do find that I really do find that I'm learning and I'm learning more and more what works and what doesn't and what I shouldn't do and what, and, and I'm also learning to, to sort of listen to the voice inside my head that says, you know, because uh, I mean, I wrote, I wrote uh, uh, last year, I wrote two books, mm-hmm. one of which will never see the light of day. And it was the, it was a book that I, it was the seventh novel I'd written. All the ones before had gone very well. I wrote this book. And while I was doing it, I thought, 
oh, I don't know. It's not, it's not, doesn't feel like the others. It's not clicking, but this is the book I said I would write and I'm going to write this damn book. And I wrote it and my agent read it and she said, what a mess this is, <laughs> you know? And, and she said, knowing how quickly I work, she said, you could write another novel from scratch in less time than it would take to fix what's wrong with this book. <laughs> and, and if I had listened to that little voice in my head, I would have stopped writing that book. Yeah. And now I know. And, and, and I don't even feel badly about the time I spent on that book because I learned a lot from doing it. I learned what doesn't work, and I learned that when you run into certain problems, that's, then you should either stop or, or rethink it or walk away from it. Mm-hmm. But I felt there was some sort of pride or something. Was, was I thought, well, I've started this book, and I will finish it. But I was a mistake too, mm-hmm. and so that book was uh, was really a learning experience for me. Relegated to the bottom drawer. Oh yeah, and I mean, I wrote that book, and, and then of course I was in a panic because I thought, well, I have to do. I have another book. I have to produce another book, yeah. and and I had intended to start writing Fear the Worst about seven or eight months, you know, from that point. Mm. But I took a week off and felt sorry for myself, and I started writing Fear the Worst. <laughs> and and I was so worried about the time I'd lost. I wrote Fear the Worst, the first draft, in seven weeks. Oh my! And uh, now it took a little more polishing to get it into shape where it should be. But that first draft just came out in a kind of white heat because I was mm. felt sort of I was so concerned about the time I had lost. Sure, I'm sure many writers would love to be able to be as quick and prolific. And um, anyway, on a final note, what would your advice be for would-be thriller writers out there who are listening to this? Well, I think it would be to just to persevere, mm-hmm. to keep going. I mean, I wanted to be a thriller writer when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. Now, this may be incredibly discouraging news for, <laughs> for, for aspiring thriller writers, but the, the thing was that it was a dream that I never let go of, and I kept at it, and it happened a lot later than I had, might have hoped, but it did happen. So I think that is to, you know, Take the rejections. Don't worry about them. Just keep going. doesn't matter how many rejections you might get. You just have to persevere and keep going. And I guess the other advice would be to read as much as you can because I find I learn as much from reading a wide variety of authors and not just genre authors, not just thriller writers. Mm. I mean, I'm reading Richard. uh, I'm on my, like, sixth Richard Yates book right now. Mm having read Revolutionary Road mm. and loving it, and I still haven't seen the movie. Mm. And now I'm reading all his, his stuff, and he's not a thriller writer at all, but you can learn a lot about character and other things that you could use in your own writing. And so, uh, yeah, that would be persevere and keep reading. Mm. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Linwood. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.